0: Giving for the growth of God's church is always a great investment for eternity, but also, as we've seen, for this world. Heavenly Father, we pray that you will open your word to our minds and our hearts, and our minds and hearts to your word. We pray that for Jesus' sake. Amen. Amen. Well, uh, our subject tonight in our giving review series of sermons entitled Attempt Great Things for God is the gift, and we're to look at 1 Corinthians 16, uh, verses 1 to 4, those verses we've just had read. You'll find them again on page 962 of the new Bibles in the pews. And uh, by the way, may I uh, thank you all that the costs of these have now all been met by the gifts for Bibles. Uh, They cost us actually £7,600 and £8,300 was given, so thank God we have a little Bible fund for the future to replace Bibles with. But uh, back to our passage. And you'll see from the back of your service sheet where you have some space for a few notes that tonight I've got three headings. The first is giving. Uh, is commanded. Secondly, one modern reason why. And then thirdly, giving is to be planned, and then a brief conclusion. So that's on the back uh, of your service sheet. First, giving is commanded. Look at verse 1 of 1 Corinthians 16. Now concerning the collection for the saints, as I directed the churches of Galatia, so you also are to do. Now from the rest of the epistle we know that uh, the words now concerning mean Paul is answering some questions the Corinthians uh, had previously asked of Paul. They already knew that Paul was going around the churches in the northeastern Mediterranean, raising money for a gift for persecuted and poor Christians in Jerusalem, the saints, as they're called here. Now, this gift was a great ministry concern of Paul. Uh, One, as helping Jewish and uh, non-Jewish relations and two, as giving for persecuted and poor believers should always be a Christian concern. So Paul answers the Corinthians first by saying that such giving is not optional. It is imperative, as Paul directed the Galatians. So he says, you also are to do. You say, that's rather heavy. Does God really command giving? Well, the answer is yes. But this needs to be balanced, as does so much teaching about giving and money in the Bible. For example, you need to balance regarding uh, the rewards of giving. For example, you can get on the one hand, uh, preachers of a prosperity gospel. They seem to say that uh, if you give to their religious causes, God will solve uh, any of your financial problems. But on the other hand, that uh, extreme teaching is then used by others to ignore all the rewards that are attached in the Bible to giving for God's work and for others. Old Bishop Ryle gives another example. J.C. Ryle, let me quote him. To know that almsgiving cannot save or atone for sin, that good works cannot justify, that we can give all our goods to feed the poor and build hospitals without real love, is vital. But let us beware of going in the opposite direction. And uh, balance here. Has also been to be maintained with regard to Paul's directing or commanding giving in verse 1, with the implication that giving is not optional for a Christian. You see, at first, the Corinthians did obey uh, this, this command and they did give money, as Paul was asking for. And then, however, you learn uh, from Paul's second letter to the Corinthians, as we were hearing this morning in church that he was worried about the Corinthians completing what they had begun. So he challenges them to keep going, by the example of the much poorer Macedonian Christians, who were giving very generously and did keep going. But he challenges them like this. This is 2 Corinthians 8, verses 8 and 9. I say this not as a command, but to prove by the earnestness of others that your love also is genuine, For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, so that you by his poverty might become rich. So, what's going on? Well, this, in addition to making it clear that giving is God's will to be obeyed, Paul is making it clear that giving needs to be willing and not reluctant, but joyful. Uh, and he does this after talking about the example of the macedonians by talking about the example of the grace or giving of our lord jesus christ that as we've just heard though he was rich yet for your sake became poor so that but you by his poverty might become rich for it's christ giving making himself poor for us that the holy spirit uses to change hearts to become generous in response Christ's poverty is seen in so many ways, uh, including literal poverty. But supremely it was seen spiritually, of course, in that utterly cruel death for our sins in our place on the cross. All this, says Paul, was in order that you, by his poverty, might become rich. And how you become rich is also in so many ways it's true spiritually for eternity with the wonderful hope of heaven, with sins forgiven, which far exceeds all you can imagine. Wonder who needs to trust Christ for that tonight? However, it's also true even literally in this world. But, And this is a serious but. Unless this receiving of Christ's literal riches in this world is matched by our generosity There are huge problems, and that seems one reason why God still commands giving. So, our second heading, uh, this one modern reason why. Let me explain. John Wesley expressed the fundamental problem so well in 1790 when he wrote this. I fear wherever riches have increased, the essence of religion has decreased in the same proportion. Therefore, I do not see how it is possible, in the nature of things, for any period of revival of religion to continue long. For religion must necessarily produce both industry and frugality, and these cannot but produce riches. But, as riches increase, so will pride, anger and love of the world in all its branches. And this problem is acute, not just for individuals, but for whole societies in the modern world. It relates to the economics of capitalism. It is a simple matter of fact to uh, quote uh, a famous social scientist that advanced industrial capitalism has generated and continues to generate the highest material standard of living for large masses of people in human history. In 1800, for example, expectancy at birth was only 30 to 40 years. Prior to 1400, it was only between 20 and 30 years. One factor was because prior to 1400, only every other child, and in 1800, only three out of four or five, lived to celebrate their fifth birthday. and. Uh, In 1800, the majority who survived the 5th birthday would have been hungry most of the time. And because of disease and a lack of sanitation, most were living in absolutely awful conditions. Have it was capitalism that helped technological developments of the new scientific knowledge bring change and be socially useful? But like modern science, capitalism was a child of the 16th and 17th century reformation of the Christian church. And this must not be forgotten. It explains so many of our modern economic problems. Wesley was highlighting the problem in a few sentences, as social scientists now admit. The problem relates, to quote, to the uh, title of Max Weber's famous book, The Protestant Ethic. And the spirit of capitalism. For when you lose the Protestant ethic, capitalism becomes dysfunctional. Capitalism is based on the possibility of private, not just public stewardship or ownership, deferred gratification, and the concept of saving money. And that comes from the Bible and the Protestant reform tradition. So did the uh, revolutionary idea that honest secular work could be as much a divine calling as being a clergyman uh, in spiritual work, um, which is another essential uh, was historically for capitalism, the development of it. At its start, therefore, this new order presupposed a biblical worldview and an ethic of honesty, discipline, care, and concern for others. But at the same time, procedurally at a formal level, You need what is misleadingly termed self-interest if markets are to function. Among other things, it means if some crook is selling you bad apples for the same price as someone at the stall next to you selling good apples, you buy good apples. You no longer buy the bad apples simply because they come from the lord of the manor. The lord of the manor now has to experience market forces the same as anyone else and respond accordingly. But that market self-interest, without the Bible's teaching on honesty, discipline, care, and concern for others, soon becomes selfishness and greed. Read Dickens uh, highlighting these evils in the 19th century. Or remember, uh, witness the global, global clash of 2008. That's why capitalism, like its partner democracy, without Christ and without Christian ethics, long term has a bleak future, as that Old Testament reading uh, would suggest to us as well. So what is the solution? Well, the answer is for people to hear and obey God's command for giving and generosity and to turn to Christ. For people need to understand the great motive for joyful obedience, which is the only continuing obedience in generosity, namely Christ's own supreme generosity in his life, his death, and resurrection, making you rich by his poverty. But then, that obedience needs to be planned, which brings us uh, to our third uh, heading giving is to be planned. Look at verse 2. On the first day of every week, each of you is to put something aside and store it up as he may prosper, so that there will be no collecting when I come. Now, let me just uh, uh, list four principles that uh, are being seen here. One, the general principle is that giving needs to be systematic and regular. So you need to sit down and do some budgeting in this good giving review. Otherwise, it's easy not to have enough to give because of spending habits. For these spending habits can ensure you have nothing to give or not enough to give. Paul says the Corinthians, by contrast, were to have a habit on the first day of every week of putting something aside. This makes giving for God's work systematic and uh, regular. That is the principle that uh, we need to follow here. And that work that needs to be funded, of course, includes work at home and work abroad for God. Last week, For example, John English Jones of AID was in the South Sudan to help Christians and the wider community there. And soon, Joan Parker uh, uh, will be uh, doing the same in Buri, in rural Kenya. I'm sure you know know the the needs of many Christians in South uh, Sudan and parts of Kenya. Uh, And, of course, there are needs here at Jesmond, as I speak. You and I are being warmed because gas is being burnt up and that costs money and has to be paid for. Uh, Jonathan Pright will be saying something more about our situation a little later, so I will say no more except that. uh, In a church like this, if you are earning and paying tax, of course a a gift-aided standing order is a simple way of being systematic and regular in giving, the principle Paul is encouraging here. Two, Paul says everyone is to be involved. Poor people as well as rich. So if you... Uh, have only a little, still give. And remember, in Christian giving, as someone has well said, there will not be equal giving, but there should be equal sacrifice. It's amazing how what seems a tiny gift can have great effect. The widow in the temple that Christ saw giving only two small copper coins, but all she had, has affected history. Yes, it was a tiny amount, but its effect was enormous. Because down the centuries, that has encouraged the giving of billions of pounds by others who were challenged by her offering, not 10% of tithe, but 100% of what she had. In the mid 80s, I was speaking at a harembi in Giriambu Parish, in the then diocese of Mount uh, Kenya East, in, uh, in Africa. Uh, a harembi is a fundraising occasion where people bring gifts and money. In this case, it was for the the building of the new parish church, of uh, uh, which Bury, our partner church, was then a daughter church, uh, Giriambra Parish Church. Uh, There were a good number of money donations, some were very large. But people with no money to give brought agricultural produce of varying sorts, uh, including animals, uh, and among them were two chickens. These gifts were then auctioned off just before the end of the proceedings. When it came to the two chickens now sold, I found myself, with mixed emotions as being a bit squeamish, presented by the buyer with these two tied-together creatures. I was told by the buyer to put them under my seat and have them for my soup later on in the day. uh, And uh, that they did end up in my Sunday evening soup at St Andrews College Kabari. The buyer I now know as Mr Mwendwa, the head of the project we have had pe- uh, uh, at Bury Parish for 25 years. So the gift of some very poor Kenyan of just two chickens, with the context that followed, has uh, resulted in literally hundreds of thousands of pounds given from Jesmond for the church centre, the clinic, the workshops and the great new school. Yes, everyone is to give something says Paul. Now, of course, if people genuinely have nothing, they can give a sacrificial use of time, including time in prayer, for time, as we say, is money. Three, everyone is to put something aside and store it up. Two things need to be said about this. First, putting something aside means, of course, that there is money ready for when Paul comes to uh, organize uh, this uh, gift for Jerusalem. and So there doesn't have to be last minute panic giving. But secondly, the word for storing up, in the original, is literally treasuring. Paul probably knew Jesus' saying about treasure, and uh, some in Corinth might have known it. Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth, where moth and rust destroy, and where thieves break in and steal, but lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven, where neither moth nor rust destroys, and where thieves do not break in and steal, for where your treasure is, there your heart will be all set. That's Matthew 6, uh, 19 to 21, from the Sermon on the Mount, of course. Well, that was then and still is a sobering thought, because today it means that a printout of your credit card uh, or bank statements tell you, and uh, anyone else who sees them, where your heart is. So where is your heart tonight? From your bank statements. Does it reflect the Bible's teaching? Because Jesus says, where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. And Jesus uses the word treasure because he knows that giving to God and for his work and for others is such a great spiritual investment. I'm personally thinking about the future. I believe I ought to spend the time uh, God still gives me uh, insofar as I can uh, and in addition to uh, some writing and wider church work, helping others take this church forward uh, here at Jesmond. Now that's in line with our long-term vision of growing to 5,000, but uh, with the next step over the next five years being 2,000. But that will be costly. Growth is always costly. But giving for the growth of God's church is always a great investment for eternity but also, as we've seen, for this world. Our great duty is to help more people now trust in Jesus Christ uh, as Lord and Savior, and so inherit eternal life. But one spin-off is more Christians in the present helping to recover that Protestant ethic for a better economy at home and progress in the developing world. So as you put money aside for God, remember the treasure principle. Four, giving is to be proportional. That storing up, or treasuring, Paul says, is to be as a person may prosper. Now, no one can tell you how much to give, only that you should give. In terms of percentage, Christ commended tithing, giving 10%, but he said at the same time, you should not neglect wider moral issues. He also said that Christian righteousness should exceed that of legalistic Jews. That means some should be giving much more than a tithe. Of course, it is a fact that by giving 5%, some would be sacrificing more than others, giving 10% or even 50%. So if you are well off, be careful at just ticking the boxes of 10%, so to speak, and thinking that fulfills your obligation before God. And remember that all we have is really God's. If you tithe, therefore the other 90% also belongs to God. So you should steward that too wisely for him. Giving then is to be systematic and uh, regular for everyone, with a consciousness of the treasure principle and proportional. Now I must conclude. I do so with verses 3 and 4. And when I arrive, I will send those whom you accredit by letter to carry your gift to Jerusalem. If it seems advisable that I should go, also they will accompany me." Paul is concerned that all is straight. He doesn't want to be accused of pocketing the money himself. He wants all to be above board. And that, of course, is so important for all charities, and especially for churches. And that's why, of course, this church at at Jesmond are accounts are professionally audited and uh, there are specific procedures for handling cash both at the back of the church uh, when boxes are opened and in the office. So as a final word, may I take this opportunity of publicly thanking, and can we all thank God for Jill Steer and David uh, McGillivray, our finance staff overseen by our church warden Andrew Coulson, for handling so correctly, faithfully and good-naturedly our money at Chessman uh, Parish Church. Amen.